Welcome to Media in Minutes. This is your host, Angela Toole. This podcast features in-depth interviews with those who report on the world around us. They share everything from their favorite stories to what happened behind the lens and give us a glimpse into their world. From our studio here at Communications Redefined, this is Media in Minutes. Today, we are excited to welcome Tony Rehagen. Tony is a freelance journalist, musician, and dad. His work has appeared in Men's Health, ESPN the Magazine, Popular Mechanics, GQ, Politico, USA Today, and Atlanta, Indianapolis, and St. Louis Monthly. He's a graduate of the University of Missouri, a five-time finalist for the City and Regional Magazine Association Writer of the Year Award, and featured in the book, Next Wave, America's New Generation of Great Literary Journalists. Tony has interviewed astronauts, moonshiners, murderers, and sports legends. I've known him personally for 15 years and couldn't be more thrilled to have him on today. Hi, Tony. Angela, how are you? Great. How are things in St. Louis? They're doing well. They're doing well, thanks. Yeah, just kind of a super rainy day here, but uh, after the super cold snap of a couple of weeks ago, it's it's been nice to kind of get out a little bit. Um, but yeah, things things are good. Can't complain. Good. Spring's coming. Hope's on the horizon, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. So as I mentioned, you've interviewed a wide range of subjects over the years. <laughs> totally. Can you describe to us your style as a journalist? You know, what types of stories you like to write and what inspires and motivates you as a writer? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's the people. It, it's always that kind of common thread. I, I would consider myself a, a generalist. Uh, and as, as you kind of mentioned, I, I write about all kinds of different things. But the common factor is always the people at the center of it. Um, I love, you know, people that are kind of struggling against everyday things, uh, mm-hmm. talking to, to people that kind of just deal with, with things that are commonplace or, or kind of common problems that are exacerbated by circumstances. I just love to dig into like to their, their lives and, and kind of see what's at the heart. Cause there's always many levels to different stories. And like, there's the top level, which is what grabs you in. Like, Hey, he's a moonshiner. Hey, he's, you know, uh, a meth addict. Hey, you know, he's a convict who's been released from prison after 23 years. Uh, but below that there are like human things that connect you to them. Even, even if you have nothing in common with them on the surface, there's always that common uh, humanity at the, the base of it. Yeah. And you're so great at describing all of that to your readers. And I'm sure everyone's intrigued by me and you mentioning moonshiners and murderers. So can you tell us a little bit more about those? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's basically uh, from working at uh, City Regional Magazine, first in Indianapolis, where we, where we met, and then um, down in Atlanta, and then back up here in St. Louis. And then I've done some freelance uh, for other publications in the interim. Uh, you kind of you become a journal, uh, generalist uh, just kind of by the, by the trade because you're the only writer on staff or one of only two or three at most. Right. Uh, you do all kinds of things. I write about food. I've written about crime and everything. But, you know, I, I've always kind of had the, I guess, adventuresome spirit or slash ignorance to kind of just dive into these other things. So, yeah, I mean, especially when writing about crime, I mean, obviously it's it's kind of the easy. I talked to my other writer friends and it's almost the easy path because it's natural drama. It's not something that people are always going to be interested in. I mean, my wife. Uh, Aaron, uh, you know, stays up and watches forensic files and all her murder shows all night, <laughs> every night. I mean, people, people are fascinated by it. Uh, so when you dig into it, it, it really, it really kind of just kind of piques the, the curiosity. Yeah. So what projects are you currently working on or have most recently completed? Um, right now, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, now that I'm full-time freelance, it kind of all depends on what sells. Uh, and I've kind of latched on to, it's, it's kind of weird because I enjoy being a generalist and I can be a generalist, but you kind of be, do specific things for specific outlets. Uh, so I've caught, a, I've caught a gig with a lot of different outlets writing about beer, which, uh, you know, mm-hmm. is, is very tough research. 
And also <laughs> I've, I've caught on uh, writing about science and technology. Some of the stuff I've done over the past year I'm most proud of has been for Experience Magazine, which is a publication that's kind of co-put out by Northeastern University up in Boston. Um, and they do a lot of stuff about like culture and technology. So I've gotten to write about this musician who basically his music is uh, recording nature sounds. Uh, his name is Bernie Krause. And basically, he's kind of documenting the sound of global warming. He, he started recording nature sounds back in the 60s. And he said, you can go to specific places and hear nature disappearing because of, because of climate change. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And then the other thing I'm doing right now is I'm doing a profile of Hatsune Miku, which is a Japanese virtual pop star who's basically just an open source software that people like you or I could write music sent, you know, with the software, send it in and if they like it, she performs it. And they, she even does concerts where she's like a hologram. Um, but really? Yeah. It's and she's a, she's an actual like, robot type thing. No, it's just, it's just a hologram. There's no physical Hatsune Miku. She's just a character that was on the cover of the, on the box of the software that came out back in 2006. Wow. And she's still 16 and she's still kind of a, you know, she's a Japanese pop star. Um, but it's, it's amazing because it's really open sourced music. So it's like, you get to write a lot of, a lot of stuff about, about that kind of stuff. So I've, I've gotten to kind of gravitate towards art as it involves technology, which has been fascinating too. So I've kind of gone from, from the crime beat to the arts and technology beat. So it's, it's fascinating stuff. Yes. So this may be hard to pin down, but what has been your most memorable story to tell? I, I, I could pick a couple. Uh, and it's just memorable from the experience of doing it. Because it, what's cool about it is in, in freelance since I'm way more conscientious of my time, um, you know, way more conscious of, of, of how much an hour is going to cost me. Um, I don't get to, to dive in as deep on some stories because the money's right. not there to really do it. But when I was on staff at those magazines, I mean, I could spend entire weeks working on one story and still get my paycheck. It was a pittance of a paycheck, but it was <laughs> right. nonetheless, I had health benefits and whatnot. I wasn't going to starve. So, and I had Aaron, you know, supporting my journalism habit <laughs> with her, with her, with her job. But uh, yeah, uh, when I was in India, I got to do a story uh, about David Scott, who was a guy who had been sent to prison when he was 16 years old for the murder of an elderly woman uh, in Terre Haute, uh, in West T, actually, West Terre Haute. And it turned out DNA evidence exonerated him, you know, some, when he was in his 40s, 42. So he basically was released, you know, at 42, having spent all of his life in the hardcore prison from 16 on. And I... I basically, thanks to his sisters who were kind of looking after him, uh, kind of introduced me to him and got me ingratiated with him. Um, I got to follow him through that, you know, follow him. I went to bars with him. I went to stores with him and just kind of see yeah. how, how you walk out of, of 30 years in, in prison into the world. And, it, you know, it turns out, again, you know, it's one of those things where, like, they can give you your freedom back, but they can't give you your life back. And they, right. they, they took everything from him and just for, you know. And I don't want to get political, but but yeah, it was fascinating to watch it, watch the vulnerability there because he was still very much like a 16 year old kid. There was very much a bunch of arrested development kind of going on there. Um, that had to be emotional to even to cover. <laughs> it was it was incredible. Yeah, no, it was. And there were there were moments when you know he would open up, and he was a super tough guy. So that, that was the that was the kind of the thing he built up this facade, uh, this ex rough exterior to survive in prison. And so um, he got to the point where he kind of trusted me, but I was never, you know, I never completely, I mean, more, it's the professional relationship you have with somebody, which, I mean, it's hard for yeah. people to understand sometimes, but, uh, but yeah, it was very emotional. It was, it, it was, it was hard because right? you, you felt sorry for him, but you wanted to kind of see it with clear eyes. But um, fortunately in a story like that, I mean, you know, it's pretty clear to see where he'd been wronged and, and it was pretty easy to make him a sympathetic character. 
Yeah. But the other, yeah, the other story that sticks with me uh, was in Atlanta when it was about, it was just old school. These two uh, older gentlemen who lived up in the mountains, uh, North, North Georgia, I mean, just straight out of the storybooks where they were feuding over a, the property line between their properties out in a rural area. And one guy shot the other, like it was just, it was Hatfields and McCoys. It was crazy. Um, and so I got to dig into that talk. I only got, obviously I only got to talk to, to one of them because the other one was dead, but I got to talk to the other, to the deceased party's family. And it was just fascinating. Um, these two different guys, one was a, one was a moonshiner, did it on, on his land. The other one was a guns dealer, you know, like <laughs> so the, just that kind of those two stereotypes, but real people. And it was, it was interesting just to kind of dig into that because that, that story had all kind of the different facets. Like I learned about serving, I learned about law. Um, I learned about moonshining and independent gun dealers. Like it was just had everything. It was so colorful. Um, and it was just one of those stories you could really dig into and just dig your teeth into. Yeah. So what about your worst? And do you have a particularly difficult person you've covered or a story that didn't go the way you planned? You don't have to name names. Sure, sure. No, it, it, there, there are a couple. Of, yeah, there, there are several stories that didn't go kind of the way you wanted to. A lot of them kind of deal with like celebrities you do. Like I, I did a story on Elio Castroneves, who's like a Indy 500 driver. They're, they're, they're professional subjects. You know what I mean? Like they know how to put up the walls that keep you out. And then they have people to do that too. So it was just, some of those are kind of on the, the very surface level. They don't really scratch much beneath the surface. Right. Um, and you know, there, there was a one story and I, I don't want to get into too specifics about it, but like it was about a father and a son and it was something that I, I didn't see there. You know, like you try to be in the moment and I, I wrote about their relationship, but there was something deeper there that I kind of missed that I wish I could go back and do over. Um, and someday, I mean, the father's dead now, so I don't know if I'll be able to be able to do that, but you always kind of have those things, but it, I mean, they say that about all art. It's that, mm -hmm. you know, nothing's ever finished. It's only abandoned. Right. And so that's very true with these stories. Cause I mean, every story I've written, I have an ending, but they, they go on. And so yes. like, no, there's no ending to it. And you're probably always thinking about this. Always. Yeah. No, it's, it's hard. Once you get deep into these, it's hard to pull yourself out and it's, it's hard to kind of stop. Like the, the sisters of the, the um, falsely accused man that I was talked about, I mean, they called me for, I mean, I did that story in 2008 or mm -hmm. 2009. And they, I mean, they called me for five or six years after that, just kind of wondering what I was doing. Eventually yeah. you kind of grow apart, but it, it's, it's hard. You kind of get yourself invested. Yeah. So what story haven't you gotten to tell uh, maybe yet or didn't, you know, thought you were working on and just didn't, didn't make it into print? Um, you know, nothing specific. There's, it's interesting when you come up with story ideas. Um, sometimes there's something that's just Come, jumps out at you that is a story but then there's also times where you kind of go searching for topics um like the the actually the uh the wrongfully accused man came out of me watching the movie the Shawshank Redemption um and there's a character in mm. that in that movie uh Brooks the old old man who was released from prison after so long and he talks about how the world has kind of moved on without him and I was like I want to write about that and so I searched for somebody in Indiana that might pertain to that and of course it became its own story because it was completely different with David um, than it was with Brooks. But so you kind of look for, for topics like that. But I mean, in general, I don't have any real white whale um, that, I'm, that I'm chasing, so to speak. I'm always just kind of open to kind of what comes to me. There's uh, one baseball player I wanted to write about, uh, who plays here in St. Louis, Carlos Martinez, uh -huh. who, who would be a fascinating story. But he kind of, he's not the same story it would have been when I wanted to write it a couple years ago. So yeah, not really. I mean, I kind of, I kind of just kind of jive and flow with everything. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, finding a story. How do you typically find your stories? It, it, it's a little bit of, of everything. Um, sometimes there's a topic that I go to look for, you know, like I said, with, with David Scott, where I kind of scan stuff. 
Other mm-hmm. times, you know, you're just, you're you know, reading the newspaper and somebody does a very small thing because newspapers are strapped nowadays for, oh, for right. staff and personnel in, in time. So they don't have time to dig into a lot of stuff. So a lot of it is they're teeing it up for, for a deeper treatment. But a lot of the times too, uh, and I found this out in the freelance game, is stories begot, you know, they beget other stories. You get into something like the Bernie Cross story I was talking about uh-huh. um, uh, with the musician who's studying climate change came from a story I did for Indianapolis Monthly, which was about Stuart Hyatt, who was another musician who kind of used, he, he did different things, but the book that he, he wrote that accompanied his recordings, the foreword was written by Bernie Cross. I'm like, who's Bernie Cross? I need to learn about this. And that's like, oh, he's another story for another publication. And so yeah. it's really kind of, if you know where to look for him, if you kind of have your, if you have your antenna up, they're just kind of all around you and you yeah. kind of grab onto it. So who do you personally like to read and follow? I mean, it's, it's interesting at this stage of the game, you know, um, yeah, there's and, so much, uh, it's true. And, and after 20 years in the business, like it's really gotten to the point and I'm, I'm not trying to, to embarrass them, but like some of my good friends are the people that are, are have become people that you must read. I mean, I, I kind of know a lot of people in the business, it's kind of a small world. So like, I mean, and all, all my friends are coming out with books that I have to read and it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's, there's the books I want to read and I want to read their books, but like, I have to read their books. Um, but like, you know, <laughs> Uh, ben Montgomery, who writes a great lot of great historical books, Seth Wickersham, Justin Heckert, Wright Thompson. These are, these are all personal friends, dear friends of mine. Outside of that, I, I love uh, David Grand, who writes for The New Yorker and has written some great books. Um, Tom Junot, Michael Paternini, who have written for Esquire, GQ, and now uh, Junot writes for ESPN. Paige Williams, who writes for The New Yorker. Uh, Pamela Koloff, who writes crime um, for uh, ProPublica. Mm-hmm. She used to write, and she writes for the New York Times Magazine too. Right now she used to work for Texas Monthly. She's okay. Out. God, there's just so many. Yeah, but, yeah uh, you could go on and on. It's like an accepted speech. <laughs> Make no, sure you totally. don't forget yeah. anyone. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, the last year has been interesting, to say the least. Sure. Have you had to adapt and pivot your writing? I have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because and it was kind of going this way anyway. Because especially as a freelancer, like, again, not on staff, not being able to uh, with shrinking budgets, um, where freelancers actually work better for a lot of publications. Mm-hmm. But travel has been kind of a uh, you know getting less and less because it's an expense. So you learn how to kind of adapt. So it was kind of going that way anyway, just like a lot of things were. But now the Zoom interview is the thing, right? Like it's the thing where you kind of get to see right. people in their environment. It's the the scene setting you get. I'm only now just starting to get out uh, into the world to do my old school reporting. I'm just starting to do that now again. I've also pivoted a little bit to, uh, you know, some native advertising and and corporate communications to kind of, you know, fit the bill a little bit to kind of supplement uh, the journalism habit. But yeah, you you learn to kind of, you know, watch more video to uh, rely more on phone conversations and to to kind of compensate for the lack of in-person sight uh, because people, you know, especially for the last year, didn't want to be around anybody strange. Um, You learn how to kind of dig into things and use different things, but it, it, it's good tools that you should be using anyway. Um, yeah. Adding more tools to our toolbox, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, now that I'll be able to kind of go back out and get back out into the world, I'll have all these other things too, like you using more YouTube videos, using more, more recordings and things like that. Yeah. So let's talk beer. so you've covered the craft beer um boom i shall say through the years and maybe Mm -hmm. enjoyed a few along the way (laughs) yes i'm actually putting together my taxes now and it's a a wonderful thing to be able to write off part of your your beer expenses that that is great so so in your opinion what city has the best beer scene and what's your favorite brewery well it's it's been it's been really tough because that's been that's been the thing i missed the most uh over the past year is that i haven't been able to kind of travel to do that 
fortunately, right before the pandemic hit, uh, I was in San Francisco um, and had some great beer. Uh, that and then I got back. I mean, like the second week of March. So it was just like it was it was locked down. I was like, fact, I know, you know COVID, that was when they first found the first cases of COVID over there, right in Alameda, just north there. Who knows what I was around? Um, right. But uh, but yeah, so I haven't been able to kind of go to other cities as much. Um, so St. Louis has a, has a very good craft beer scene, I will say, uh, very unheralded because it's been in the shadow of Anheuser-Busch. Uh, Indianapolis had, had a great one. It's really hard, let me think. So over the past year, what's interesting about the business in the past year is that I've, one, I've made it kind of my, my goal to explore more St. Louis brewery, obviously, because that's what I've got to work with. I've spent so much, so much time on, online ordering stuff, which is fantastic. But uh, yeah, let me think of the, the best. It's hard I to mean, pick one, probably, really right? <laughs> Do you have a few uh, actual beers, you know, lately that have stood out? Um, you know, I, I, there's there's several styles that really stand out. I, I'm a big fan of the hazy IPAs, which are like the double dry hopped. And, yeah. Uh, and it's more more the fruit flavor coming forward. Um, and uh, Narrow Gauge here in Florissant, Missouri, which is right just north of St. Louis, is a great place for that. Uh, I, I like a good boozy stout, even though they're kind of going out of vogue. Um, mm. for, the, for the populace who want to kind of reduce their alcohol intake, Perennial here does a lot of good stuff like that. Upland down in, in Bloomington, Indiana, is a great place, and they've 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 done yes. a lot of great stuff. Um, Sun King in Indy was one of the one of my first craft breweries that I kind of got introduced to, and I'm still a huge fan of of what Clay and those guys do there. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much yeah. stuff, and you can get subscription boxes. Denver is also, I'd, I'd be remiss, uh, Denver is a great beer town. And then a little over two years ago, Aaron and I got to go to Portland and Seattle, and both places are mm. just fantastic for, for the craft beer. Yeah, I love wheats, and I and I can't find those very much. So have those gone out as well? They, 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 <laughs> they're, they're coming back because, uh, because and, and lagers are coming back too, because of the, the people want, they, they want to be able to drink a little more functionally and not, you know, just, it's been crazy is like with craft beer, especially with the, the, the IPAs and stuff coming up the 7% has become the new 5%. Like, okay. you know, like a Budweiser and a Bud Light are like, you know, no more than 5% alcohol, which means for like the, your basic IPA is going to be like seven to 8% alcohol. Right. Um, and that's like nothing anymore. Now you're getting into like 13 to 15%. <laughs> and so people are just like, and, and millennials, especially, they don't want to, they don't want to drink so much alcohol. One, it's, it's not good for you. And two, it's, you know, it, it alcohol, more sugar, more everything right. you know, is, is going to put on weight. Um, and they're more health conscientious. So wheats will be coming back, um, especially fruited wheats, because sour beers. Have been That's a big my favorite. For a while. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those are those will be coming back in a big way because they're more palatable. They're just easier to kind of switch to, and they're the things that the big brewers aren't doing very well. You know. Right, right. That's good news. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been known to have a dance party or two at the <laughs> Waffle House. You have yeah. to fill with the two cutest uh, girls I've ever seen. <laughs> so you have to fill us in. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Uh, we, I worked out in Atlanta Magazine for about five or six years. Um, and where we live, I mean, in Atlanta, there was a Waffle House everywhere. Like, in fact, there is, there is literally a place where you can sit in the Waffle House and see another Waffle House across the interstate. Like, really? They're, they're everywhere. And they're, and they're awesome. And they're just great places to go, especially with young kids, because there's not a lot of, you know, there's no expectation of decorum. We were right. going off hours. Uh, so it's like, if you go at three o'clock in the afternoon or like, you know, six, there's nobody there. We still go. We have one here in O'Fallon which is the neighboring town here outside of St. Louis that we go to, but it, it's re- just super laid back. And the, the people, the staff there, it, and it's weird how the cultures kind of pervade it's everywhere. No matter what Waffle House you walk into, it's the same. Um, and they all have this awesome jukebox, which includes like unique to Waffle House music. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were just there and, you know, the girls wanted to do something. So we put some money in the jukebox and then 
my uh, my youngest Josephine just I mean she just likes to dance that's all she does and <laughs> she just gets up and dances and tries to get everybody else to dance and so that's that's something we've missed a lot during the pandemic but when we we still get Carrie out from Waffle House yeah we go and put a song in and she'll she'll dance a little bit just for the old school but yeah it's it's something that kind of harkens back to because uh, both of the both of them were born in Georgia they're they're Georgia girls they say even though their memory of that is probably fading quickly um, yes they always remember Waffle House and that's kind of our our touchstone. Have you posted any of those videos on Twitter? Because we're going to tell everyone how to find you on Twitter at the end here. I haven't here. put it on Twitter, but I, I should. And in fact, if yeah. I, I've i always thinking the, the businessman in me is like, I'm missing a huge marketing opportunity here because Waffle House is totally down. That's the other cool thing is like when I was working in Atlanta, I got to write about Waffle House quite a bit. And they they are the most media savvy. They, they totally get it. They totally know what their brand is. They totally know that people are like, you go to the Waffle House at two o'clock, you get shot. And they're like, we don't want people to get shot. But we're going to own the fact that it's a little, you know, that it's Waffle House is different, different hours. They totally, a little sketchy. Totally. And they own that. They're just like, hey, we're Waffle House. That's what I love about them because they're just really savvy about it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I really, I probably definitely missed opportunities to uh, to advertise on Twitter. So maybe I'll have to post those up there and see if I can make some extra money that way. <laughs> definitely. And before we go, we have to talk about another talent of yours, music. Sure. So some yeah. of our favorite memories, my husband, Brian, and I, um, with you and your wife, Erin, were weekend nights at Broad Ripple Bar in Indianapolis, where you were performing. So uh, has music always been a passion? It has. It, it predated the journalism bug by far. In mm. fact, I, I say I'm a, I'm a failed musician. Um, which actually, it's, it's I wouldn't say failed because you're amazing. <laughs> well, but I, yeah, I, it's crazy because my, my two talents are writing and, and music, which are extremely hard to make livings at. Right. Um, and, or and, failed, you mean by not making money from music, exactly, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. I have not been able to turn it into a career. Somehow I've been able to turn writing into a career. So, uh, and thank God for that. But um, but yeah, no, it's something, and it's something that, uh, it, I, I don't know, like uh, I return to now more for myself than anything. Uh, I do perform on Facebook now during the, during the pandemic because I got a captive audience. Yes. And, nobody's going anywhere so I'm like yeah oh, this would be easy uh but yeah no I just, it's just something my my mom uh plays the uh still plays this huge pipe organ in the catholic church back in St. Elizabeth Missouri where I grew up population like 300 down mm -hmm. in central Missouri um and I grew up singing in the choir and so like music's always been a part of my life my my mom's always fostered that in me um and so I taught myself how to play guitar I've been playing in bands since I was like 15 um my dad had to drive me to my gigs are you still in the band now I'm not. No, it's, okay. it's, it's like having, I joke, it's like, it's like having three girlfriends at the same time like <laughs> with all the egos and everything in the business and stuff. And, and music is weird in that, like when you're doing it full time, you don't have the money to buy the good equipment right? and, and you don't have the time. And, and, and when you're working and can afford the equipment, you don't have time to play music. Um, so now I can buy all these cool toys that I would have killed for when I was like 17 and 18, but I, you know, I can only get to play them every now and again and I don't ever right. get to play them out. So it's a little bit sad. That is sad. Will you play just a little bit for us? Can I convince you? Yeah, let me let me see. I I, I keep a guitar next to my computer, but it's not my good guitar, which needs okay. to be kind of kept for humidity purposes. Hold on a second. Can you can you hear that? Yes, yes. Traveling these wide roads for so long, my heart's been far from you. Ten thousand miles gone. Oh, I want to come near and give you every part of me. 
but there's blood on my hands and my lips are unclean in my darkness i remember mama's words reoccur to me surrender to the good lord and he'll wipe your slate clean take me to your river wonderful tony i miss those days i'll have to keep listening on facebook live <laughs> for now thank you so much for joining us today it was fun to talk with you and tell aaron and the girls we said hi absolutely no thanks for having me and best to, to you and brian and the family thank you you can find tony on twitter at t rehagen r-e-h-a-g-e-n instagram at t rehagen 79 or at tonyrehagen.com that's all for this episode of Media in Minutes, a podcast by Communications Redefined, available anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find more at communicationsredefined.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Angela Toole. Talk to you next time.